you know often in relationships we kind of do this dance together right where we come together close in intimacy maybe some wound activates we go a little further away we come back you know so we find where our safety zone is but i think there's really something spiritual and radical happening when we start getting closer and closer to each other and really bridging that intimacy because not only do we start actually feeling unconditionally loved like because in this scenario where we're distancing we're feeling okay we love each other oh wait there's a condition i have this is episode number 503 with elisa romeo and adam foley the guide to sacred partnership Hi, everybody. I am Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you want support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with 30 chapters. Each one is a tip designed to help you step more fully into your value. And you can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip on becoming a woman of value is step number four, love your body. We have a lot of self-loathing in our culture and people have a lot of ideas about what is ideal for a body. And I want to tell you today that your body is ideal. Your body doesn't have to match anybody else's ideal. It has to match your own. And sometimes love is too strong of a word because we have so much loathing that it's hard to find the word love and make it feel authentic. So my challenge to you today is just to find a way to have more compassion towards your body, find the parts of your body that you really are being unkind to and give a little kindness to those parts. And before I bring in our guests, I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's for women over 40 who are looking for lasting love, who are looking to go on their last first date. It is a group with seven moderators who moderate every single day, so we don't have posts that are complaining, victimy, um, what's wrong with dating, what's wrong with men. None of that is allowed in my group. It is really about... Yeah, dating can be frustrating and that's okay to talk about, but we want to learn and we want to grow. And so this is a place for anybody who would like to really have a personal growth journey on their journey to their last first date. So join us there. And now for my guests, Elisa Romeo and Adam Foley. They are a married couple and the parents of two children, and their mission is to teach sacred partnership. They do that in many ways. They're the authors of a book called Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships. And if you're watching on YouTube, there's the book right here. And they are also the hosts of the Holy and Human podcast. They help people awaken and deepen their soulful nature within themselves and their relationships. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So let's let's get into the term holy love for anybody who has no idea what that is. Holy is definitely a word that can be charged for some people because people can have an association of what holy means or doesn't mean. And for us, it's really bringing the sacred component back to relationships. I'm a marriage and family therapist, so I work with many couples over the years. And a lot of times what happens in relationship is we're trying to solve a problem from the ego level without opening to more of our wise mind or all conditional loving self. So 
And that can really get into a pattern of like this ping pong game between two people. That's like your trauma hurt my feelings. And so we are going, the ego is basically who we think we are. And we see it like an iceberg where on the tip, there's who we think we are, but under the surface, there's what's in our dreams and our subconscious and our past memories and our energy field even. And so how do we bring more of our essential self to relationship? And we really find that if you hold space for that sacred component within relationship, it really changes the narrative and it changes the way we frame our problems. So we're trying to elevate basically how we're narrating the issues in our lives to kind of open them up to a field where we're kind of interacting with a greater part of ourselves and each other. Yeah. And I think we really, a lot of the book is about redefining love and, or really about taking off our ideas of what love is to get back to really the inherent nature of love. I liked your tip in the beginning of the show, you know, about that, how we can sometimes look in a mirror and we see ourselves through this narrative of, you know, I don't like that part of me. And, you know, this part could be better and, and all that. We talk a little bit about that in the book too, about taking away those narratives to be able to see yourself and each other for who they really are and for their essence and for their um, soul is the, you know, the word we use use is the eyes of love. And to us, soul is just Mm -hmm. our, all loving, all knowing aspects of ourselves. In psychology, some people might call it the wise mind if you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever, but it's raising the the brain state from beta to theta so that you're really accessing more information than our kind of default analytical brain, which likes to create problems and separation. You were talking about your Facebook group, and I thought that's really interesting because part of the hypothesis of holy love is we really want to be seen and met at who we are. That's the part of us. That's not what's the word like where you can't change it for anyone else. What's that word? We were saying it earlier today where you can't be traded for anyone else, where you're uniquely yourself um, replaced, you replaced. So it's the irreplaceable part of ourselves. And to us, that's that soul, that unique divine essence within a person. It's almost like if your loved ones in a coma or even passed away, who were they in their essence, that irreplaceable part, not what they can do for you or give you, or even what they said, but that inherent unique part of them that we miss. And that's how we want to be seen. And I think what we're really craving is to be seen on that level with our kids. We have a seven and 13 year old. They're always craving that, you know, we got to do that. Did you do the homework? How's this going? How's that going? But it's really that energy in the room where you're like, are you seeing me? Are you seeing me as just a project to kind of get me ready for the world? Or are you seeing me as who I uniquely am on this planet and my own personal destiny? Are you supporting me in that journey? Are you meeting me energetically in the moment in that way? So that's what we call soul, that part of us that longs for that. And so the hypothesis of the book is kind of like, if we're longing for a soulmate in any way, if that's a friendship or at work or whatever, to be seen in that way, we can't find our soulmates if we don't know ourselves as souls. That's kind of our premise. So the first step in finding your soulmate is getting to know yourself and others, seeing through those lens of love so that you're not just reacting to who they think they are, but you're opening up that relationship to their essential self. And so much of what you said really resonates. And um, I think that we often get so caught up in the stuff that doesn't matter and a lot of how we see people is through the eyes of judgment, through the eyes of our own personal history. 
And I see this a lot in online dating where somebody sees a profile and they just make all kinds of assumptions. And we had, we had a post in my Facebook group the other day where somebody said, I met a great guy and he ticked all the boxes and we had so much fun together, but he voted for the other party. And so I wish I could fall for somebody like that. I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that may or may not be true for that person. Because right. then the next step is what does your soul say about that? Because for me, that is true, actually, because of many reasons, but it's not true for everybody. And so it's really about, is that coming from, is that value judgment coming from your ego or is that coming from your higher self, which is, I know it gets kind of weird because I think, you know, in the book, we have an example too, though, of like, a lot of times it is that ego reality of like, oh, what I thought I wanted isn't what I actually needed can't always get what you want, but you can get what you need. Right. There can be beautiful, you know, relationships that come out of those dating types of websites, but often they only account for egoic characteristics. You know, you fill out the forms and it's, what are your hobbies? What do you know? What are your belief systems and all these things. And our ego can not sometimes not be very good at choosing love because our ego may choose it out of uh, what we think love should look like or what we expect that partner to look like opposed to really stopping, slowing down, taking a breath and really feeling intuitively into that person and their essence and, and really identifying, does this really feel like a soul to soul match? I mean, a lot of the coaching I do is around those issues is people have these lists that are, really just randomly what society has said, what other people have told them, um, what they believe will keep them safe, what they believe will keep them um, financially secure, whatever it is, this list has nothing to do with really how they're going to feel with that person. And I remember there was a woman in my course, I teach an online dating course that started during the pandemic because people were so confused about what to do and how to date. And it was confusing, but I think in many ways we ended up getting closer to connection because we were, we took a lot of things off the table, like physical touch and who pays on a first date and all the things that are the outside trappings. And people were getting to know each other on video and on phone calls and really learning how to connect in a more deep way. And this woman was widowed. She was widowed about five, six years, I think, when, when she signed up for the course last year. And her online search had gone terribly. She was happily married to the man she lost. And she was looking for a man who was at least an inch taller, and she's close to six feet. She was looking for somebody who was older, who had to have a certain income level, all these things that didn't really matter. And she met a guy who was about her height, maybe a little shorter. He was younger. He had a terrible looking profile, but he had a nice writing, nice written profile, not such good pictures. She never would have given him a chance in the past. And they've been together a year and a half. They bought property together. She is over the moon happy. They connect on every level. And she said he was kind. He was considerate. They couldn't stop talking. They had so much in common. And so we miss people when we're stuck in ego and what we think we need. And that's what projections are, is are we seeing the true soul in front of us? Or are we seeing it with these layers in terms of all our 
things we think we want. So a lot of our exercises and meditations are how to withdraw those projections because it's true. It's about at the end of the day, kind of the chemistry and the energetic connection. And But it is interesting. It is more about, you know, sitting back and opening and almost kind of surrendering to the experience. We, you know, a lot of uh, people, I think that are single and involved in the new age movement sometimes feel this pressure of like, manifesting a partner in a way that they're like, oh, I need to fix all of my problems first and kind of be a perfect person to manifest a perfect person. Uh, but, and a lot of that also can be, you know, writing on the vision board, the exact traits you want, you know, an inch taller and, you know, lots of money and things like that. But that can sometimes take us off the scent of what our soul really wants. And so a lot of it is more about actually surrendering into your emotions and being real with them and getting information from there. Yeah. I'm reading a book called the Rosie project. Have you ever? No, I haven't heard that. It's uh, it's about a man who couldn't find love. And so he created the wife project, which was, I don't know, like a five page questionnaire with all kinds of crazy things. on them. They, they had nothing to do with reality. And by accident, he meets this woman who's much younger than he is. She's a complete free spirit. She's the opposite of what he is. And he, he says like, she, she wouldn't have been on the questionnaire at all. So she's obviously not, not a good candidate for a wife, but he keeps having feelings. And he's like, well, I just had a sensation. I just had a feeling. I don't, I don't really know what this is. He's a little Asperger's. But it's, it's fascinating to see him coming, coming around to mm. trusting his gut and trusting that emotions matter more than this long checklist that yeah. nobody, actually yeah. nobody. Well, would in our, especially on. in America, we really are trained to know ourselves as our ego. It's really reinforced and validated and anything that's outside of that realm is often kooky and woo woo. And <laughs> so we're not really, you know, encouraged in our imaginative states to meet ourselves on those levels. So, and I think the ego is very successful in navigating other departments in life, right? The ego can be very successful in managing our to-do list and getting a job and, and all Achieving the functioning things. things. But what the ego is not great at navigating is love and spirituality. Often these are the things that we have to listen to a different type of voice within. And it's about humbling the ego and opening up to knowing ourselves in other ways, which can be really scary for people and really out of the box kind of, if we haven't had modeling for that, have less control over it. There's less predictability often. But yeah. Adam's story, yeah, you're saying earlier about India. I mean, I think that is, we've had really unique, bizarre things that have occurred to us in our lives that really forced us into the front row of what is ego and what is soul. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have gotten around to it. Honestly, I was pre-law when I started <laughs> at University of Washington, you know, I'm 45 now. So whatever that was 25 years ago. And I feel like I never thought that this was what I would be doing. Um, it was much more of kind of like, yeah, a destined kind of situation to be working and needing to know myself first in this way, but then to be doing this type of work and consciousness connection and relationships. And one of those, that one of the pivotal points for you, you told me before is that you, you know, you're on this track of what you thought you wanted and all the ideas of who you thought you should be. Right. And then at one point you looked at your bookshelf and they were like all psychology and spirituality yeah. books. And then you're like, but this is what I'm naturally drawn mm -hmm. to. So can we do that? And with the fear of like, oh, but well? how do you 
make that a career or a living. How yeah. does that <laughs> interpret to the, yeah. to the real world? And then the long puzzle of figuring that out. But yeah. people yeah. often have these crazy stories about, and it's not so crazy, but that they've gone in one path and they didn't see all the signs, you know, and I, I have a client who does morning pages because she was, um, she was really confused about next steps for her in her life as she's retiring. And, and um, I, morning pages are from the artist oh, yeah. for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah. Yes. And when we would say soul journaling is morning pages on steroids. Yeah. Right. So you should tell her to give it a shot because it is <laughs> the foundation of the practices like that three pages, don't raise your hand, vent out the unconscious mm -hmm. um, to loosen up the critical mind and the analytical mind. But then you take it another dimension where you're like, now let's raise a vibration to talk directly to love to start to get answers to the ego. And, mm -hmm. and then the morning pages kind of unfold into this really interesting dialogue and relationship yeah. with that part of ourselves. I love that. Well, what, what happens in, in all of these kinds of journaling, when you're journaling like that without, without, you know, a set, like you have to do it a certain way and it can only look a certain way is you start to loosen up all those uh, subconscious thoughts. And all of a sudden it's like, things get revealed to you and people, I mean, she has said to me many times, you know, you're not supposed to share what you actually write in your morning pages, but things have been revealed. She said, aha moments. It's been really, really helpful. So it's yeah. Like so iceberg too, you know, it's like morning pages allow that stuff under the surface to kind of poke through and start come up into the conscious part of who we think we are. Right. And, and the, the beautiful part about this kind of writing, and I'd love to hear you talk a little more about the soul journaling, is that it happens at a time when your brain is not yet filled with all the layers and the, the, the person, the, the masks that we wear during the day to show up with ego to do our work and to respond to certain people. And so we're still in that state of freedom, of like freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of like, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the soul journaling. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's a great place to start is that, you know, when you're waking up and accessing mm -hmm. that brain state, because we would call that theta state, you know, that's the state of deep dreams. And it's often in the state of realizations and intuitions. There's been so many mathematicians and scientists that Einstein have been... got equals mc squared in his delta state and dreaming mm. came through in theta and tried to explain it for the next 30 years of his life yeah so a lot of these things are you know in the waking consciousness they're working on you know the system and stuff but they don't make the intuitive connection until they're in that place so you can really try to solve a problem you know einstein said uh our biggest mistake is trying to solve a problem on the energetic level it was created mm -hmm. and uh so that I think is, if you do it right, when you wake up, you can access that state, but we teach like working on that state, like a muscle. And so that it gets stronger and stronger so that you can do it in a waking day. You know, uh, we're parents, we're busy all the time. And we really wanted this to be something you could do like in the bathroom for five minutes, <laughs> because often as a parent, that's all you have is just those few moments here and there. So it's, we use a, uh, it's a lot of it is about setting intention with the journaling that helps change the brain state. It's also when you keep revisiting and coming back to it and making it a practice, then you have almost a, a Pavlovian, Pavlovian, Pavlovian response, response yeah. you know, where your brain will start automatically going into theta state yeah. when you sit down. 
So what we do is we create a dialogue between your ego self and your soul self. If soul is a triggering word, you can use your wisdom self your or love mind. self. This is the part of you that has that access to greater things than your ego understands at that moment. And what we love about the dialogue technique, I guess first I should say is we encourage people to give their soul a name. So to just pick a name that represents unconditional love and all-knowing wisdom. Or you can receive a name in meditation. We have yeah. meditations for you on our site that are guided because sometimes in that altered state, you can receive kind of what that name is. But either way, yeah. pick it or receive it. And the name have can a name. change. A lot of people get very perfectionistic yeah. about the name, but it can be is a placeholder as a symbol. And then you do this, you create a dialogue. So from your ego, you can say, hey, uh, soul, I feel so confused today and disconnected from myself. Uh, what should I do? And you might hear the response of like, take 10 minutes and just sit. Or, um, or the response might be like, you need to get up and walk and get, you know, some adrenaline out of your system. So it's not, it's, you know, we can get really caught in spiritual dogmas of what we should be doing and how we should be connecting to ourselves. But this really liberates that and frees up that process because, the wisdom that comes through changes each time. The wisdom that I get one morning may be different the next morning because I'm in a different place and need different types of uh, healing or medicine. So, and it creates this sort of healing process because when you start venting these things from the ego, like in the artist way, where you're just kind of venting whatever's there, you end up holding that in unconditional love. So an example of that might be like, let's say Lisa's angry at me for some reason and it's triggering some attachment wound I have. And so I'm like in a state of anxiety. So my ego might be like, Hey, I'm really scared right now. I feel like Elisa might leave me or something like that. My soul might be like, you're okay. You know, uh, remember to breathe. You're in a triggered state. And this is actually not true, but then my ego might come back, but it really feels true. And I really think it is. And so it, it, it's not like you need, to know everything or you need to uh, achieve a perfect state, some spiritual persona state. It's more like you just allow it to be a conversation and a relationship that grows and heals over time. There's a lot of inner child work that just happens from that higher self place, but it's also so useful for dating or in relationships because instead of just whatever Adam's ego is doing, I now have access, we call it the four relationships. So instead of just my ego to his ego, which is the first relationship, I also have my ego relationship to Sophia, my soul. And every day I ask her in my journal, hi, Sophia, how is Elisa doing today? Where is she connected to you? And where is she wandering around in stupid, mindless paths that are going nowhere towards you or anything meaningful? And she will tell me very specifically and directly. And I mean, I don't know if you subscribe to astrology or not, but I'm a Capricorn and I'm somebody who likes to be very like I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of what heals and, and really what is love and what is unconditional love. And I think the Capricorn part of me likes to make it really practical, accessible, specific, and useful. Uh, Capricorns are like, I use, you know? So it's like, I think we've just toned these tools very particularly to be very efficient, to kind of save time and just break it down to these four relationships. And then it's Elisa to Sophia, and then it's Elisa to Thomas, which is Adam's soul, so that I can talk directly to his love self about what's going on with Adam. Why did Adam say that? What did he mean by that? Now it's not just coming through the lens of my old programming, but I'm having intuitive access to why Adam did or didn't do something, which can really save a lot of useless drama between egos when you have that 
relationship really nailed down. And then the final step is the soul to soul contracts. Why is this person in my life? What soul lessons are they learning? And that can be something hard. Like if you have a tough relationship with a parent or something hard's going on with a child of like, what am I learning right now through this experience? And how can I open to love through this lesson and use this as a spiritual kind of assignment? You're having all these conversations through the journaling And then do you bring, like, if you are having conflict with each other, do you bring that to each other once you've worked it out on paper? We do both. Sometimes Adam's, thank God for me, I get to benefit because he does this all the time. I very much benefit when he's psychically like, what's with Elisa today? She's really irritated. (laughs) He will sometimes tell me, sometimes he tells me later. Sometimes he's like, yesterday when you were moody. I got this information and um, often it's about food. We've discovered my love language is 90% of the time, just (laughs) needing the proper food being delivered to me. I get hangry very easily. Um, Well, yeah, (laughs) this is why. (laughs) It's usually, it's like, seriously though, psychic information is usually like, get your wife a burrito or she's going (laughs) to freak out about something stupid tonight. Yeah, that's what we like about it, you know, is because sometimes my, I'll ask my soul, each time, each day, you know, so it's really a moment to moment thing, which really keeps you almost spiritually awake, you know, Mm -hmm. because you can't fall into rules. You can't fall into like, oh, the way I'm supposed to act towards Elisa today is the same way I'm supposed to act tomorrow. You know, yesterday she had a migraine, you know, so my soul was kind of (laughs) like, you got to, you know, give her space and let her, you know, breathe through this. And so uh, I also work, you know, we work with a lot of couples where one couple, one partner may be doing the work, uh, you know, very invested in soul journaling and using the four relationships while the other partner doesn't even like to talk about the word soul, you know? <laughs> and so, but we can see a radical shift happen- happening even there because really what we all want is unconditional love and relationships. And so as soon as one partner starts doing some actions or translating some wisdom in the relationship. It's amazing to see how the other partner often steps forward. It's like sometimes issues that just really, there was no progress on. As soon as you access the energy and the emotional part of it, then they come forward. First it's energetic. Well, they'll feel it like, oh, they're not nitpicking me in the same way or doing the same old thing. And I can, they just start to feel that space. And then they kind of lean in and get curious. Like, why have you changed? What's going on over there? What's in the water? But then, and then sometimes it is verbal where you start communicating around it, but that's, what's cool about this work is you don't have, the other person doesn't have to be doing the work for you, the relationship to still benefit from it, which there's not a lot of work. You can say that about as a therapist, you know, I've seen a lot of things in relationships. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really powerful. And I know, cause I teach boundaries and communication skills that when you can process your own stuff. And you are less triggered and you are less reactive. It does change the nature of a relationship. You know, you come into a conversation with a, with less reactivity. And I just had a conversation today with my youngest daughter who had a fight with her roommate. And her whole thing is, why do I always have to be the one to bring up these topics? Why do I have to do all the work? Which is basically what you're saying. And I said, you don't have to do any of it. You know, it's, this is something that, and I remember telling her, you know, what if this is happening for you and not to you? And that there's something you're meant to learn here. And she was like, oh, 
I like that. It's empowering where you're like, I don't need them to do anything. I'm going to still get my information about what's going on with them. In the book, we have an example of this girl who was bullied at school. She was eight years old and she was like scared to go to school, didn't want to. It was a clique of girls. And with kids, we use it like as an animal stand in, like imagine an animal you really like. Oh, I like the bunny at school. Okay. Bun bun. And imagine now bun buns all loving and all knowing. So we're putting the placeholder of soul on the bunny. What does bun bun want to tell you about Teresa at school? I'm just using a fake name. And she was like, oh, well, Teresa's feeling upset because there's problems in her house. She feels really strong when she gets to pick on me. And she knew all these things that five minutes before she had no access before it was like, I have no idea why she's doing that. And then she had all this information. And then it was like, well, how does Bun Bun want you to act around Teresa? And she, I could tell if I told her act like this around the bully, it would have been flimsy, but she really could feel her knowing about what it was. So suddenly she knew, oh, be friendly, but not too close. Say hi, don't act scared, but don't engage too much. She knew exactly the nuances of how to energetically be a Jedi around this bully. And Mm. I, I mean, that's, I I feel like I've really, I used to work in inpatient rehabs and with co-occurring disorders, like eating disorders and with gang members and incest survivors and all kinds of intense things. And I really saw that when people did this, um, just kind of creative writing exercises, starting to meet this all loving, all knowing part of themselves, the information that they would access that they would five minutes before just be like, I don't know what to do. And they would say things that were just ruminating in the group therapy. And they'd be just like crystal clear with these details. And so I'm always floored still after 20 years of doing this, that like we have access to this Mm -hmm. and it's right in front of us. And we make things way harder on ourselves in terms of dating or in relationship, or even just if we're being consciously single about just how, what's going on with us and each other when really the information is just like right there, but we have to, you do have to suspend a little bit of the analytical mind to raise that brain state and go into the theta state. And that's the part, especially as Westerners, we're pretty resistant and angry and cynical about because of our programming. So there's a lot of like, I'm not doing that. That's a waste of my time. I'm too smart for that kind of airy fairy imagination, but that's how you raise your brain state. So it's an essential fake it till you make it it till you make it play with it. We say just, we're not trying to sell any dogma or specific way. We just are like, be open enough to try it and just see what happens. Cause we have so many clients that are just shocked when they actually do the soul journaling, what comes through very quickly is kind of really. And there's usually a feeling of like a deep recognition, you know, because really all we're you know, I say one way to judge kind of a spiritual teacher, if they're a match for you or not, is does that person make you feel like you want to be more like them? Or does that person make you feel more like you want to be yourself? Because I really think that that's where our truest spiritual teachings come from. And so often when you connect with souls, this feeling of kind of like, oh, I kind of knew that this whole time, you know? So you should, you should have that feeling. If you don't have that feeling, then you're not really like a homecoming. That really is a resonance. Usually when I tell people things, I mean, my path, I know it's a lot for some people who are more analytically inclined to hear, but my path was when I was in my grad program, learning Jungian psychology, I had an out-of-body experience, which was very surprising to me because my dad's a biochemist. My mom's a mathematician. I came from a super, super heady analytical, like the programming was like, you die, fade to black, worms meet. That's it. A 
good life, a spiritual life is just being kind of living, helping people and being tolerant and being kind. So when I came out of my body and saw my face and my t-shirt as consciousness below me, it was terrifying because I was like, okay, so I'm existing as consciousness and I'm not in my physical body. What does that mean (laughs) about any of this? You know, what's going to happen when I die? What is, what is all this? Um, It really scared me, honestly, for a long period of time that I had to integrate that. But then I had what's known as a near death experience, like a life review and a life review is a movie from the vantage point of love. And from each interaction, you're also experiencing the other person's feelings in those interactions. So it's like an expanded view of your life. And I could really see from that review how things I thought were spiritual weren't. (laughs) How things I thought were being kind of like pious or whatever really weren't connected at all to the true energy of who I was as the eternal love that I came from and I'm going back to at the end of the day. And then I had every question I've ever asked myself was immediately answered, like the challenges with my father and why he could never see me. And like all the setup of everything was just like immediately revealed as the why. And then when I started coming back into my physical body as Elisa Romeo, I could feel myself getting dumber and dumber as I was going back into the egoic programming and it really put in me this desire of, okay, I don't want to lose this awareness because I understand there's a purposeness to the ego being as it is, but that part of me knows everything. So soul journaling was really to me trying to do that. How do I stay in contact with that other part of myself, raising my brain state, And to just stay connected to the truth, because I really don't want to feel my next life review like I missed it. It wasn't a judgmental feeling of like, you're going to hell or anything. It was just more like, we're showing you this. Like, are you making your choices really from the energy of love Mm -hmm. or fear? And because I love efficiency, I'm just (laughs) like, how can I just do that better so that I feel like I'm really nailing it (laughs) next time? That's my goal. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon. Uh, Lisa's working with a young male who had gone on a series of uh, dates and he was on this date with this 
a woman who uh, had a career as a model and she checked off all the boxes. You know, she was everything that he had wanted and was uh, our thought he wanted, (laughs) you know, and then, uh, but when they started to become physically intimate, he just turned off. And so part of him as a man was like, is there something wrong with me? You know, is, is, am I broken? What's happened? You know, this hasn't been a problem in the past. Why is it a problem now? But when we really looked at it and took time to slow down and identify the emotions, we realized it was because on a deep level, he just really didn't feel like they were a match, even though, but his mind was trying to convince himself that they were a match. So our work is a lot about healing that dissonance between those two things. I think the voting thing is really interesting because what I would do in that situation is then kind of intuitively look at why is that person voting for that person? Where's it coming from in them? What consciousness level? Because maybe it's just programming from their family and it doesn't matter much in terms of the relationship I'm going to have with them. Maybe it's a strong held conscious belief system that's going to really clash with not just my ego, but my soul values. Adam and I have an age difference. He was a musician on paper. I was really like, I'm never dating anyone younger than me by that kind of an age difference and definitely never a musician. I've done that before. And (laughs) My soul was was like, (laughs) he was all the wrong things, right? It was equivalent to the wrong political party. And, um, and then my soul was like, yeah, we don't care. That really isn't going to matter. And I was like, really, I'm going to be 13 years older. So I'm going to have more of the droopy body when he's younger and all the things the ego is worried about. My soul's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We really don't care. And we've been together 10 years and it's so far been really so far so good so so far just like a feeling of like wow thank goodness i didn't let my ego block me from that experience uh that would have really limited the healing i got from this relationship i think we all have had times where we've had this inner knowing and this sense of this is the right thing I need to do, or this is absolutely the wrong decision. I'm doing it anyway, but it's really <laughs> yeah. a bad thing. I know me. that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I've made like, a no, lot Sophia, of those. No, Sophia, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> right. We'll see how that works out. It's usually but, more dramatic. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know those those intuitive hits that we get where where we're really connected to ourselves, and we know that this is the right path. And I've even had people ask themselves throughout their day, is this feeding me or draining me? Is this, you know, That's am I making question. this decision out of love or fear? Because so many people are so disconnected. And I uh, just started working with somebody whose work has taken over her entire life and we're getting her back to balance. And some of the things that I'm having her do is that is just being conscious of your choices. Like who are we hanging out with? What are we eating? What are we saying? What are we doing? All of it matters. Um, Yeah. So, and I know that, um, Adam, you also have your story of like the epiphany and how (laughs) you found your spiritual path. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, when we started writing, Elisa asked me, she said, uh, you know, what was it that prepared you for this, you know, this material in this book, like what was the origin of that? And I really had to think about it for a while. Uh, but I came to the conclusion that really what started preparing me for this work was uh, an experience I had when I lived in India. So I lived there when I was 15 years old as an exchange student. And when I was there, there was a terrorist attack that happened a few houses down from me. And it was uh, against a group of Muslims that were having a peaceful celebration. uh, And some Hindu extremists had put some bombs around where they knew this event was going to be. And so I had, I saw that really up close and personal 
and it really triggered this existential uh, debate in me. And this, because I couldn't see how there could be purpose or meaning or love in the universe if such horrible and violent things could happen, you know, and such kind of pointless hatred. Uh, and then what ended up happening is because I was staying there and there hadn't been an American in that town for a long time, the news uh, channel started focusing on me as sort of like a spokesperson for what had happened. They just thought it was interesting that this American exchange student was so close to this event. So they started interviewing me and I sort of said a few messages of peace, but I've, I understood the political situation very little. Uh, and I was very much still in PTSD from the whole experience. And then I eventually got a call from the UN and they were like, you are a potential target for an upcoming terrorist attack because of like what you've said. And the story started getting more and more coverage and uh, you should leave India basically. And I got calls from family and friends that were like, Hey, you should go. But I really felt like after that, like something had been like broken open in me. And I knew that if I went home that I would never get to that answer. I think that's an example of what you were just talking about that time where you just intuitively know something. Like mm -hmm. I knew if I went home, it would just be this confusing story that had happened to me and I wouldn't have found the meaning uh, of it. So it really woke up a spiritual longing in me to know and to investigate. And so I started training with different gurus and doing uh, somatic trainings and yoga trainings. Uh, and it, eventually, you know, I left my exchange program because they also were like, this is unsafe for you. And this, so the only way I could stay is if I broke off on my own. And so I did that. And so I basically just traveled around with not a lot of schedule. Eventually I ended up meeting up with some other exchange students from a far other program across uh, the country. And we, they, I met them at this bar. This is kind of the accumulation, culmination, 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 accumulation, accumulation, yeah, I'm mixing up words, <laughs> accumulation. We've done like three interviews today, so I'm like, <laughs> well, well, well. accumulation of everything that happened, you know, through all those events. Uh, was I was at this bar with these people, and they ended up really offending the bartender and the people working there. There was a, a German exchange student and his girlfriend, they started making out in public, which is really taboo for India, it's actually illegal to, you know, uh make out in public and all that. And so, and they were being really disrespectful. You know, the bartender asked them to stop and they were like, no, you know, so they were not, you know, listening uh, to them around them. So it ended up leading to an actual bar fight that happened and the, everybody was leaving. And somehow I ended up being the last person, you know, out the door and also uh, the only person that ended up getting you know, stuck there. Uh, he was trying to de-escalate and uh, calm everyone down. Yeah. <laughs> so didn't work very so well. they, they, they grabbed me and, and, and hit me and actually went unconscious for a second. And then all the other exchange students left. They didn't seem to notice that I got left behind. So uh, then I was in this experience where I was being beaten up when I was already in this sort of survivor's guilt place of kind of wondering like, what's the point of even being alive? Like, what's the point of being here? Like if it, if there's just all this suffering and, and it was in that moment that what had been like unconsciously following me that whole time came to consciousness. And it was really like, where is my impulse to live and why? 
And it was also then that, so I just started basically going into an altered state, you know, as being pummeled, I was kind of in this like passive pain place. And I remember looking at the men and I could see just the anger and I knew it was so misplaced because I hadn't been involved in instigating the conflict at all. Like I was, a, I was against the conflict, you know, I was more on their side than the other side. Uh, so to feel how there was so much anger and hatred directed at me that was so misplaced and so false. And to know that that was also what had happened during that terrorist bombing, that there was so much hatred against those people because they had different belief systems, you know, that was so misplaced and false. And so in that moment, I could see that really feel that disconnect between what they believed was happening and who they really were as souls. Because a part of me in that moment, I imagine, I asked myself, I'm like, have they always been this angry? Has this, you know, has this been a, like a part of them since birth? And I could really feel that it wasn't, that there was a, intuitively, I could feel that there was this very pure, sweet and innocent part of them as well. And I would say that's the soul part. So in that moment, I could see how disconnected we get, right? We can get so disconnected, we start enacting violence on each other. And I really think if, if we all did soul work, that there would be no violence, because I don't think it's possible to bomb Ukraine if we can see and recognize the souls of other people. It's really hard to enact violence. So that was the moment, I think, that really started preparing me and waking me up to this work and got me ready to meet Elisa. It was when I met Elisa, I started having more of my spiritual awakenings and intuition waking up. But it was that experience that really made me realize that we're living two different lives here. You know, we're living our egoic life and we're living our soul life. Mm. Yeah, it's an amazing story, both of your stories. And I think that, yes, it would be the ideal if everybody could live from that place. And many people have tried, you know, they're one of the, what I call the miracle of my divorce was that my husband started to study empathy and he studied the work of nonviolent communication with Marshall Rosenberg, and he created an empathy labyrinth. He now teaches empathy. This is a guy who could not handle conflict at all. He could not see my side in anything, and he really transformed as we were ending our relationship. And he's gone to the Middle East and tried to create peace between Arabs and Israelis and the ones who come to these workshops are the ones who already want peace and who already are in a very different conscious state. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it is, it is hard, but yeah. <clears throat> I, I am really celebrating that he has transformed into this part of himself where he's mm -hmm. so much less guarded and, and much more connected to his true self. Yeah. And when I would sit with someone who's a murderer or pedophile, as I have, mm -hmm right? Because they're not necessarily interested in, in doing, like you said, they're not, you're not preaching to the choir necessarily. I'm, you know, when you're a therapist, you have to meet them where they're at. And then you have to build that bridge and not just between you and them, but between them and love. And so, I'll, so the four relationships in those situations are super useful because you can sit with someone who's really, really angry, really disconnected, has a history of violence, been violent, you know, abused themselves and ask, what do they need in this moment? What do they think in this moment? How do I meet them? So that you are helping raise consciousness teeny bits by, you know, it's moving the needle. It's a little bit by a little bit. 
there's a lot of heaviness down here. Um, but it does work. It really is effective. And so, I mean, I would say to your husband, if I was talking to him, that's awesome. You're doing the nonviolent communication, try adding the four relationships with it and Mm -hmm. see what happens in some of those exchanges. He does a lot of soul work and God work. And that's, that's a big part of his life. Um, but you just reminded me also of Marshall Rosenberg was talking once about somebody he met in prison who was in solitary confinement and he had been a pedophile and had killed children, tortured and killed children. And he asked him, what need of yours was met when you killed children? And he said it was a need to be seen for the pain that I was went through as a child. I mean, that was like super powerful. Like the fact that absolutely that was his way of yeah. of yeah. being seen or that's feeling a very this. common. Yeah, I think that's trauma loop. That's profound. You know, so profound that that statement there because it really shows you how misguided our desires can be. You know, like we're all are longing for the same thing. You know, yes. I think we are born with a longing to feel unconditional love. And I think part of that is, you know, we say that is more profound than we realize closing that gap between two people. Like if you have two people and you feel that there's this resistance to intimacy, every time you start getting close, there's a little bit, you know, it, it goes back to this, you know, often in relationships, we kind of do this dance together, right? Where we come together close in intimacy, maybe some wound activates, we go a little further away, we come back, you know, so we find where our safety zone is. We're like, this is where we feel safe here. But I think there's really something spiritual and radical happening when we start getting closer and closer to each other and really bridging that intimacy. Because not only do we start actually feeling unconditionally loved, like, because in this scenario where we're distancing, we're feeling, okay, we love each other. Oh, wait, there's a condition I have, you know, here's the condition I, I, I'm willing to receive your love unless you know, I have to be naked with all the lights on when we have sex, you know, because then I'm too, you know, paranoid you about myself. Off? No, I was going to say lights <laughs> on because that's, you know, more vulnerable. Uh, you lights know, off, you can hide. That was the strangest <laughs> example I could have thought of. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's these conditions. Um, and often we grow, grow really accustomed to a, a far, you know, distance. Um, you know, I kind of lost track where I was going with that. Yeah, Yeah, I remember once sitting in a group with incest survivors and a woman said, when I hear a baby crying, I want to smash it in the face. I know this is really (laughs) intense, but thinking like, what? Like, what a monster. How can anyone ever say that about a baby crying? And then the story comes out, you know, six months later, she was beaten as a baby when she cried. Like, so it's like, it always kind of seems to come back to that place of like, we're all in, you know, maybe not that extreme, but we all have wounds and we're all crying out for those places we've been hurt and to be seen and met in those places with someone coming at with real love energy, not just with an agenda of, you know, I'm trying to make something happen here, but really showing up, meeting people in that. I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think a good example is uh, like when I was in India, I think I saw that exact thing you're talking about where I could feel that anger was actually there, you know, there was layers to it. 
there was first just the hatred of these exchange students disrespecting their culture. It was like, you're spitting in our face of our traditions. So there was that level of anger. But beneath that was a sadness of like a helplessness of like, uh, I don't have power in this situation. And so I'm trying to enact power over you. I'm, we're going to beat you up and show you how strong and powerful we are, which may be from an even deeper you know, sense of feeling like, there, you know, there's just layers and layers you can go there. And that is where then at the deepest layer, I think, is that longing for unconditional love. So that statement you said about the murder being like, I want to be seen. It's like the longing is the same. And we believe that longing is holy. Its That's it's like a holy longing implanted yeah. because sometimes we make ourselves wrong for that longing too. Like I'm an independent woman. I shouldn't need that reflection or to be seen but we all need to kind of be seen as souls and it's not wrong to have the longing and the impulse towards love yeah it doesn't have to be romantic in nature yeah Yeah. it's a core a core need it is a core need and you know i'm in the middle of teaching my communications course right now and every single session we have that's the the live zoom sessions Everybody says, did you grow up in the same home I did? Do you have the same marriage I did? We have so much Sounds in common. familiar. Yeah. Right. And then, but if you looked at all of them on paper, they're all different ages. They live in all different places. They all had different upbringings, but we do have more in common when we start communicating on that soul level, when we really start to talk about what are our true experiences? What are, what are the needs that we had that didn't get met? What are the triggers that we have? they're common, they're, they're very common. And so this work is so critical. Um, so as we end, I would love for you to share an exercise to have, if you have something that will help people create more soul connections as they're dating. Yeah. Oh, how's uh, soul connections while they're dating. Well, I think that the I think when we talk about these things, you know, I think when we get into the realm of really trying to figure out what's happening spiritually and with the mysteries, it can feel like it gets more and more complicated, right? It's like, is that a wound from your childhood? That is that activation or uh, is that anxiety or now what should I do? And, uh, and so to remember that this practice is really simple, really, and that it's really natural and that we all have the ability to just stop, take a breath, and place a hand on our heart and then feel into that core of our hearts and just imagine what that voice would be telling you right now that's in there the voice of love uh so it's talking to love what's love's response to you so i would just encourage everybody to just start playing with that and and start with simple questions just like hey love should i go for a walk right now or hey love should i go on this date or not you know or uh, so it can be very simple at first. That's one thing on our YouTube channel. We have one video about blind dating because you can even feel into someone's energy, even if you've never met them and talk to your soul about how do you feel? How does my soul feel about this person? It can really help speed things along to do that inquiry. Yeah, I love that. There's the show Love is Blind. Did you guys watch that? I haven't seen it, but I've heard. <laughs> I've been yeah, I've heard it sounds I've heard really interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating because they're trying to make connections without seeing each other, like you just said. And the problem is they get engaged within like 10 days of meeting oh, wow. through a wall. Wow. 
And they do make these deep connections, but when they get together in person is when the ego stuff shows up. Right. (laughs) Seriously. And you watch how, I mean, as a, as a dating coach and relationship expert, I watch how they deal with conflict, how their wounds show up in the first, first sign of conflict, you just see conflict, conflict, conflict. One person's walking Mm -hmm. out, the other person's doesn't know what to do with the other, with that person. And so love isn't blind. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think that we, we become blind to certain things when we're attracted to somebody. And so it, that attraction can get in the way of really seeing a person and really knowing a person. And I think we get very blinded by hormones and butterflies yeah. <laughs> and all the things that we think we need, the spark. Yes. The, you know, the things we talked about in the beginning. And so I think really getting people to go back into their bodies and, you know, into love, into their highest self and really look to themselves because the answers are there and you've got to feel them. You can't look to other people. They don't have your answers. You're the only one who really does. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been so lovely. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And um, if you can let us know like one way for people to get in touch with you and all of your other links will be in the show notes. Right. Yeah. Everything's at holyandhuman.com. You can listen to our website there called Same Thing. And we've guided free meditations. If anyone listening wants to go deeper to do some meet your soul work and feel into more of that, there's a lot of free info on there to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, thanks Lisa so and Adam. Much. It was really great thanks to be us. with you today. It was a pleasure. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please rate and review the show. We are so appreciative of every single rating and review. As always, here's to your last first date. <laughs>